0: Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. Cannibalism. Duels. Devil worship. Small, cute animals in danger. Weird old people who look like they're already dead. Does this sound like a good way to decorate your house? Well, if you're Spanish artist Francisco Goya, then the answer is a resounding yes. This is a great way to decorate your house. Because those were the types of things he painted into the walls of his home when he made the infamous black paintings, sometime between 1819 and 1823. Francisco Goya is kind of a liminal figure in art history. He's both one of the old European masters and an early modern artist. He's an old master in the sense that he did a lot of portraiture for nobility, a lot of pictures of fancy people with hereditary titles. But an early modern artist, because he did a lot of paintings that were fantastical, were emotive, were, above all, supposed to make the viewer feel something. And his masterpieces to black paintings are every bit as evocative today as they were when he first made them. Born in 1746, Goya got his start at an early age. He was born into a middle-class family, and he had the opportunity to travel to Italy as a teenager and study painting. He did well there. He was a good student and even won a painting contest. When he returned home to Spain, he had the skills to be a painter, and he also had two qualities that made him a really good freelance content provider. If any of you have ever worked as a freelance graphic designer, or artist, or writer, you'll know that there are two big things that employers look for. They want your work to be good. They want it to be clean and error-free. That's important. But they also want you to be fast and reliable. And Francisco Goya was fast and reliable. He was often able to complete a portrait in a single sitting, and he was able to execute consistently and well. His quality, combined with his reliability and his speed, made him popular with people who wanted to get their portraits done. And his popularity and his prolificness eventually launched him into a career as a court painter for the King of Spain, Charles IV. This meant a lot more commissions for Goya from nobility. After all, he was court painter. If you are a fancy person, there's only one guy that you really want to do your portrait. And for a while, Goya was that guy. He seems to occasionally have fun with his job. He seemed to have had a sense of humor. Most of the portraits he did were, you know, portraits. But every so often he inserted something kind of cheeky. For instance, he did a portrait of Charles IV and his family, where Charles IV wasn't in the middle, his wife was, because everyone thought of her as being the one who was really in charge of the family. Charles IV is off to the side, looking like a bumbling sitcom dad. Also, in 1801, Goya did a portrait of the Spanish Prime Minister, Manuel Godí, and this portrait makes Godí look like a big, strong man who can do stuff, but in kind of like a douchebag kind of way. He looks like sort of a, you know, early 1800s version of Zaff Brannigan, for those of you familiar with Zaff Brannigan. But despite occasionally being cheeky about his subjects, Goya worked fast, his output was good, and he knew the right people. Everything was going great, Francisco Goya, until a certain self-appointed French emperor decided to roll in and ruin it all. In the early 1800s, Napoleon's conquests made life for a lot of people much more difficult. For a lot of people, their life became difficult because Napoleon ended it. A lot of other people were driven from their homes or even their countries, but for an artist like Goya, much depended on the patronage of nobles who wanted to spend money and impress each other. However, war and political strife meant that picking a patron meant picking sides. So in 1801, Napoleon invaded Spain, kicked out the reigning monarch, Ferdinand VII, and put his own brother Joseph on the throne. Goya kept neutral during the conflict, but he did do some work for some French patrons while Napoleon was trying to turn the Iberian Peninsula into a puppet kingdom. However, in 1914, Ferdinand VII was back. Goya's involvement with French patrons during the short-lived reign of Joseph Bonaparte didn't quite make him a traitor, but it didn't endear him to the returning king either. Goya had formerly been a court painter, but now he was tainted. Now he had dirty French residue all over him, and so his days of being the main art guy for Spanish fancy people were basically over. On a more personal level, though, Goya was also struggling with his health. He had health problems for much of his life, including one disease that took his hearing. So, by this point, Goya's old. His career as he knew it seems to be over-ish, he can't hear anymore, and he's not feeling great about life. Even before he did the black paintings, Goya's work got progressively more negative. He would started moving away from straightforward portraiture, and he began painting images of war, strife, and monsters. With his career kind of in decline and in bad health, Goya moved into a small house outside Madrid called La Quinta del Sordo, or House of the Deaf Man. Curiously, the house was already called House of the Deaf Man before Goya moved in. Maybe that's why he moved in, because he just figured, well, this house needs a deaf guy to live in it, and I will be that deaf guy. While living in this house, outside of Spain's major city, by himself and not really talking to a lot of people, Goya made the most arresting masterpieces he would ever create. The black paintings. He painted them into the walls of his home. They are aptly named. They're dark. They use a lot of black and earth tones. A few of them have explicitly supernatural or violent content. But even the ones that don't, even the ones that just show people, they still look like they come from a world that's wrong, somehow. The most famous one is Saturn devouring his son, and we'll get to that, but I want to spend some time on the lesser-known images, and get into why I find those so compelling. This would also be a good time to talk about names, titles. Goya didn't title any of these paintings. The titles we use for them were given by Antonio Burguda, a friend of Goya's who discovered the paintings after the artist's death. Braguda's terminology is still used by art historians, but keep in mind that these are titles that come from Goya's friend, not Goya himself. So, one of my favorite paintings, and one of the most disturbing ones, is called, quite simply, Two Old Men Eating Soup. One of them looks wizened, old, and maybe like an eccentric wizard. He holds a bowl and spoon and smiles in a manic sort of way. The other old man, though, looks... wrong. He appears halfway between being a living man and a skeleton. His eyes and nose are gone. His head is bald and smooth like a skull. But he's clearly moving and talking to the other man. Like some kind of animated memento mori that isn't just going to remind you that you're going to die, it actually opens its skeletal mouth and says as much. Likewise, another painting called Two Old Men Looks, for all the world, like a demon whispering into an aged man's ear while he leans on a staff. Still another painting is called Judith and Holofernes, and that shows, as you'd expect, Judith beheading Holofernes. Though in this version, the general is out of the frame, We just see Judith raising a blade while her servant looks on, praying over the execution. We see triumphal, righteous violence, and someone else praying over it. And even when that violence is maybe justified, it's still unsettling. Speaking of violence, there's another painting called Duel with Cudgels, which is one of the most brightly lit paintings, but it shows exactly what you'd think. Two guys fighting with cudgels. Several of the paintings display crowd scenes. The most vivid among these is The Witch's Sabbath, which shows a mob-like crowd clustered around a figure wearing a goat mask, or perhaps a befomit-like figure who does in fact have the head of a goat. All of the crowd scenes, though, seem to show people as unreasonable, emotional, and caught up in a moment of unstoppable doomed passion goya it seems didn't really like people when he painted these even one image which shows a religious pilgrimage seems to show the crowd as in the grip of passionate mindless zeal as opposed to anything resembling religious contemplation one painting leocadia is different There's a woman in a black dress, probably Goya's maid, who leans against a large object. Maybe a burial ground. That would make sense. She looks like she's in mourning. Compared to the leering, laughing, manic images elsewhere in the black paintings, she looks peaceful and sympathetic. She is the one mournful figure among so many deathly images. Another, the dog, evokes pity in a different way. We see a dog with its head barely above water, swimming against what looks like a large wave. The dog is tiny compared with the sea and sky around it. It's apparent that the beast is trying to swim, to save itself from drowning. But it's also apparent that the sky and the waves are far bigger than the dog is, and that the forces of nature roll and roil around it. The dog is likely doomed, though there is a chance, a small chance it could survive. Maybe it will drown. It will probably drown. But even if the dog is able to swim to safety, that survival is not without struggle. That safety isn't without an immense cost. And then, of course, there's Saturn devouring his son. In Greek and Roman myth, of course, Cronus, or Saturn, is one of the Titans who predates the gods and is destined to be destroyed by his children. To avert this fate, and by the way, if you're a character in a myth or a legend, don't try to avert fate. It will never go well for you. Just don't do it, Oedipus. To avert fate, the Titan consumes his children whole as they are born. However, His child, Zeus, eventually kills him, casting down the Titan, and assuming the role as leader of creation. And in some versions of the myth, the children Saturn devoured whole burst out of him like adorable little baby xenomorphs and become the various classical deities that we all know and love. Here, though, Saturn is not consuming his children whole. He's rending his son apart He's bitten the head off the torso, and blood is running down the body. The titan looks like a crazed beast in darkness. He does not look at all heavenly, like a force of creation that made the world. He looks infernal, like something that you would see in a cave, something that you would be startled by when you shone a flashlight on it. He looks more than a little Lovecraftian, And when you look into Saturn's crazy eyes, you wonder, how much intelligence is going on there? Again, Goya painted the black paintings on the walls of his house, and the image of Saturn devouring his son was, fittingly, in the dining room. As far as we know, Goya never wrote anything about the paintings, or what they meant to him. Goya's scholars have searched his letters and journals and writings, and they find nothing about the works that he is most famous for. Also, as far as we know, he never showed the paintings to anyone. We don't have any records of anyone writing about how Francisco Goya invited them over to his house outside Madrid and showed them the new masterpieces that he'd made on the walls of his home. And if he ever talked about the paintings with his friends or family, well, we have no idea what those conversations entail. Toward the end of his life, the very end, Goya lived in a kind of self-imposed exile in France, leaving La Quinta del Sordo behind. He died in 1828. The wider world would have no idea about the black paintings until decades later. In the 1870s. Now these images are mysterious. And you can't really talk about them. Without talking about the mystery that's kind of been appended on them. Because there is a small conspiracy theory. That's been attached to the black paintings. And that conspiracy is that. Maybe Francisco Goya didn't paint them. Maybe his son did. The theory goes like this. Before Goya left for France, he transferred ownership of La Quinta del Sordo to his grandson, Mariano. For complicated financial and political reasons, Mariano transferred ownership to his father, Javier. Javier was Goya's son, and so Javier owned the place that his dad used to live in. According to this conspiracy theory, which I don't buy, It was Javier de Goya who made the black paintings. After Francisco Goya's death and Javier de Goya's death, Mariano owned La Quinta del Sordo once again. Now, Mariano was bad with money. He was something of a spendthrift. He was not especially responsible. And he suddenly had this house that had been left to him by his highly successful grandfather, and his kind of successful dad. Mariano figured that having paintings by his kind of successful dad would not up the resale value especially much. But if the paintings were by his really successful grandfather, Francisco, well, then the resale value of La Quinta del Sordo goes way up. So Mariano de Goya said, Hey everyone, remember Francisco Goya? My grandpappy? Well, I have a bunch of heretofore undiscovered works by him. They're on the walls of this house. I know, they're disturbing. I guess that's why he never talked about them. This theory, which floats around, is not taken seriously by most Goya scholars. The paintings are consistent with Goya's style. Even though the paintings are something of a departure, when you look at Goya's early work, they're not entirely inconsistent. And if you look at Goya's images of war and monsters that he painted toward the end of his life before living in La Quinta del Sordo, well, the black paintings don't seem entirely out of character. And I'm unsurprised that something as compelling and enigmatic as the black paintings would have a conspiracy theory attached to them. Because when we see compelling Powerful or enigmatic art, we kind of want it to have something to hide. It's not enough to accept that the pyramids were just very large gravestones with rich people inside. We want to believe that they're like some cosmic thing or whatever. It's not enough to believe that Stonehenge are just some nicely shaped rocks that sometimes line up with the sun. We want it to have a deeper hidden meaning. Because hidden things are cool. Secrets are cool. I think the real secret of the black paintings is not that they were part of an art fraud, real estate fraud scheme perpetuated by Mariano Goya. No, the real secret is a lot more horrible to think about. Because Goya was successful. He was good at what he did. He knew the right people. He had connections. And yet, he still experienced pain, loneliness, frustration, and alienation. He was successful, but success doesn't make the darkness go away. It's still there, looking back at you. And Francisco Goya, toward the end of his life, put it on the walls of his home so we could look back at it. As always... This is a listener-supported podcast. Go to weirdhistorypodcast.com to become a monthly supporter. Thank you to everyone who does that. Uh, also, go on Apple Podcast and give the show five stars and nice words. Reviews and ratings help other people discover the show. Thank you, everyone, who's done that. The show is on social media, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. I am on Twitter, at Joe Streckert at j-o-e-s-t-r-e-c-k-e-r-t thank you all for listening talk to you next time bye it's getting faster moving faster now it's getting out of hand on the tenth floor down the back stairs into no man's land lights are flashing cars are crashing getting frequent now I've got the spirit lose a feeling Get it out somehow.